Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. So, if this is the first time you've heard our podcast, let me just reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. Now, you can find my work in mostly autoguide.com as well as its YouTube channel, and you'll find it at autotrader.ca as well. But Ben, he's like this amazing hired gun of the automotive media landscape. So his work is found all over the place. Ben, can you tell me some of the recent publications you've written for? I feel like you're my hype man. Like I'm Chuck D and you're Flavor Flav building me up. Uh, but you can <laughs> yeah. you can find my work at Automobile, at Superstreet, and at Haggerty. Wow, that's far too many plugs. I was expecting at least two, maybe, yeah, two at most. You gave me too many. Expect the unexpected, um, Sammy. So this week we've got some pretty cool compact cars to talk about. Ben, why don't you take it away because I love yours because it's got a really neat red stripe in the grill. Well, I think of the two of us on this podcast, you might be the only one who loves the car that I drove this week. And it's the 2019 Volkswagen Jetta GLI. Okay. So I'll be honest, I haven't driven the new GLI. It's actually a blind spot in my automotive knowledge, but I've driven the GTI so many times and it's a pretty solid car. It's easy to recommend the GTI to so many people. And I would have thought that the GLI is the same thing, right? You would think that. And the reason you would think that is because a substantial portion of Volkswagen's marketing is oriented towards convincing you that a Jetta is a GT, Jetta GLI is a GTI with a trunk. Right. This is inaccurate. And, no, no. Yeah, they've so, been lying to us. Well, the thing is, this year Volkswagen has made more of an effort because in the past the GLI was somewhat hamstrung versus the GTI. It got a two-liter turbo engine, uh, a four-cylinder, but it wasn't the same turbocharged engine as you got in the GTI. It, ha- it almost always had less power in recent years, and the whole experience. I always, of- I always love this idea of like. Well, we make the GTI, and people love the GTI, so should we just do the same thing we put we did to the GTI and put it into a GLI? And like, no, give it the crap. Give it that engine that couldn't meet our standards. Yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> like they're it's it's almost like they felt okay. We got to protect the GTI somewhat, but then they realized that Americans are buying far more sedans than they're buying hatchbacks, and that's why the right. Golf, the regular Golf, is going bye bye. So um, I kind of get why they've stepped up the game, or at least made it look like they're stepping up the game for the GLI. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, and, and I drove a GTI immediately the week before, and I've been in a Golf R. I've been living the Volkswagen lifestyle, all right? Yeah, I'm really impressed. I know. Well, it's it's not everyone can do it, but uh, you got to put an extra effort in when you're in the podcasting game. And uh, as a result, I've, I've, I've become way Don't too... criticize me while saying that's a backhanded insult. <laughs> I, I, I've become a little too familiar with this line of products from Volkswagen. And getting out of the GTI and getting into the GLI, they just really do not feel like they have the same spirit. And it's weird because exactly the same engine, 258 pound-feet of torque, and I think it's like 227 horsepower, something like that. Uh, the interiors are kind of the same um the 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 where things start to fall apart for me it's there's 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 a few areas first is styling the jetta is not really an attractive vehicle uh it's not you can say that that again like honestly it is it's not ugly 
but it's it's somewhat plain and it's big. It's it, it looks it, it's it's this version of the car was brought over to North America specifically for a North American audience. Cars here are getting bigger and bigger in the compact segment. So the Jetta, honestly, it felt oversized. It's a foot and a half longer than a GTI. <laughs> right. And it has, two, I think, two extra inches of wheelbase. So you get one and a half inches more rear leg room if that's important to you. I don't sit in the back, so it's not important to me. But I, I will admit that the Jetta is reasonably comfortable for four adults if you're driving around. Uh, you're, you're not going to feel like you're cramped. But from behind the wheel... You really feel that this is a big car. Sammy, you've driven the regular Jetta, right? I have. And uh, I don't have very many flattering things to say about it. it it's, it's, Isn't it, that the right way to describe it? Like, well, You know, the, in the past, the GLI was always the Jetta with more power, not necessarily more handling. And right. I think that this year they tried to give it more handling as well. And I don't really think it worked for me. And... Uh, Part of that was the size of the platform. It just doesn't feel... It's the MQB, which is the same as the GTI... Listen, MQB, GTI, GLI. It's like, it's just endless. Yeah, do you have any more acronyms soup. that you're going to be... Because oh, we're going to need a guide to send to all of our listeners. A lexicon <laughs> for the Volkswagen yeah. review section. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's ostensibly the same platform, but it just doesn't feel engaging. Uh, the car I had came with the DSG transmission, seven speeds. There's right? another acronym. Thank there you. There we go. Just pulling them out of thin... I can just say any acronym at this point, <laughs> and it would be believable as a Volkswagen marketing term. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you haven't even you haven't TSS, even mentioned like the Mark threes and fours, or and the TSS like seating, or the dual double double yeah. G sunroof. And I was saying, you know, because you know the the people call them Mark one and two, but sometimes they'll acronym they'll make the acronym MK one MK two. Yeah. Uh, or MK2, MK3, so I was like, uh-oh, here we go again. But, uh, <laughs> but MQB, sorry, and so, DSG. So the, the DSG transmission, I'm not a fan of it, really, for performance applications. I like it for cars that cruise around, and I guess if you're super hardcore about the track and all you care about is, you know, times, or 0 to 60 times, for that matter, the, the DSG is where you'd go. But it, it added this extra layer of separation between me and the car. And in the GTI I had the previous week, I also had the same transmission. Uh-huh. And uh, the, the effect was more pronounced in the Jetta. It just felt like when I stepped on the gas hard, even when I was in sport mode, which is, you know, the, the or the transmission was also in sport mode because you can have mm-hmm. both. I, I don't know why. It, automakers, please, when I select sport mode on the, the the screen or the button or wherever I do it, please also put the transmission in sport mode. <laughs> Don't make me have to guess and look down and see that it's still in D and then I pull down and it's an S and now there's a double S and I don't know what's going on. Anyway. Yes, you need sport mode and sport suspe- uh, sport transmission in order to get the full sporty experience. Yeah. Yes. So even uh. with that engaged, when you step on the engine, it makes a lot of noise. Like It has that, that fake piped-in noise in, in sport mode that you don't normally have. Uh, but it, it's not it's not really engaging. It, it's somewhat quick. I mean, uh, Road and Track has it doing 60 in 5.6 seconds. I think Motor Trend did 6.1. That's that's a pretty big spread. Yeah, with uh, the, those are good. Do you numbers. think that's manual manual to DSG or they're both? DSG no, they're numbers? both DSG cars. The manual is somewhat slower. I think the manual was like 5.8 in the middle. So okay. anyway, whatever. But uh, it just it just didn't light any fires. It didn't make me excited. And uh, I think. If you're buying a car that's supposed to be a performance car, it should get you excited, Sammy. It should, yeah, for sure. Now, there's so many things that could cause this. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work with you here because it's so hard to have a conversation about a car that does not make us excited or interested at all. But 
Uh, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to milk this for as long as I can. All right. Um, He's a pro, folks. The the GTI is fun. It feels agile. It feels very responsive. And every time I now I haven't driven a GLI. I'm saying that again up front. Every time I drove the Jetta, I absolutely detested the layout of the car, like the the materials, the fit and finish. It always felt second rate in comparison to what I've always experienced in a Golf and a GTI. Okay, it's, so. I was going to bring up this exact same thing because the GLI is largely a similar experience. Like, what particularly about the interior do you not like in the Jetta? Uh, hard plastics oh. uh, and just, like, the the general feeling of just being surrounded by these really cheap, hard things that sound like this whenever you touch them. And It's so true. I was taking photos of the car yesterday, and <laughs> I banged my leg against the door getting out, and it was like... <laughs> yeah, you have to take a minute. It was like, you know when you're in, a, a, in like, a high school cafeteria... And those plastic chairs, the super hard plastic chairs that no one can break ever, it felt exactly <laughs> like that's what I had banged my knee into. And that's not great. But the weird thing is, though, I had a 35th anniversary edition of the car, which in addition to coming with uh, an adaptive suspension, which I don't think you can get on any other model, uh, it's, it's the mid-tier model. It also came with special seats and, and trim and stuff. So uh, okay. I, the seats were okay. And one thing I really did like was the... Um, the, what the do dash they mean by special seats are they the that cool tartan style? They have, no, uh, they're they're like a leather seat with a, a additional piping that you don't get in the normal model. Oh but, uh, wow! It has a cool dash. Uh, the dash that's installed in this version of the Jetta looked mm-hmm. really good. It, it was nicely configurable, more so than in the GTI that I drove. Do you and mean like virtual cockpit? I care. So I don't. I thought it was, but at the same time, you can't really. I don't think that the anniversary edition comes with that. I think you have to get the okay. Audubon edition to do that. So I'm not sure. Again, it's a Canadian car, so it could be different from the American spec. Okay. But also, uh, adjustable interior lighting, which I don't think you have in the in the Golf R. I think the Golf R's lighting is all the same color. But I yes. could mix and match colors, and like you could have different colors on. You could have different shades on the floor as opposed to the doors, and that's fun. That's like interesting stuff. That if I'm an enthusiast. I kind of want to have that customization. So I appreciated that about the interior. Uh, it sounds a bit campy. I mean, piping on a seat and a- adjustable lighting. Well, like... I'm looking for the silver lining <laughs> <laughs> in what is an, other, an otherwise very boring interior. Uh, like all the other Jetta stuff's still there. And it doesn't feel as nice as the GTI, which doesn't feel particularly nice itself. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's diminishing returns. And I'm really disappointed by that. I will say, though. That the GLI, you know, you were talking about um, the regular Jetta. It, it goes to a multi-link suspension in the oh, rear, as opposed okay. to the finally tor- we've got an upgrade that's worth talking about. <laughs> so yeah, instead of the trail, instead of the torsion bar, you've got a multi-link suspension. So uh, I did not push the car very hard. I mostly drove it around town and some highway stuff. Uh, and maybe that's you know maybe if I'd gotten it out on two lane and and whipped it around, I would have been excited. But <laughs> I seriously doubt that. <laughs> like it just it, it just feels like a faster Jetta again. And right. is that really competitive? Like, Sammy, if you were shopping the GLI, which is admittedly comfortable, large inside, good trunk, um, inoffensive styling, what would you be shopping it against? But that's the – okay. So I realistically, something like the Elantra Sport, which is awesome fun. It is uh, a lot of fun. I really like that car. Civic SI, which is very comparable to the Elantra Sport, but maybe a bit more um, refined in a couple of ways. Um, and maybe, I think you, you brought this up a while back, but the WRX, like the Subaru WRX, if you really wanted performance to be the number one reason you get one of these things, because it's got that all-wheel drive, it's got a, a very laggy turbo that just 
bludgeons you in the very face. Very laggy. With... What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, more so than the other cars we're, t- we're, we're talking about. I guess so. I mean, it's a more engaging drive, that's for sure. But it's not, it's... As, it's not as refined, I guess, as the GLI. If by refined, you mean isolated from the driving experience. Right. Uh, what else would be another car that would go into this... Um... Into this segment, I think those. I don't, the- think, I don't think there's anything. I mean, uh, you know, once upon a time there were a lot of performance sedans out there, compact sedans. But right now, it's just everyone making a small performance car has gone into the hatchback form. Yes, yeah, so you mean like the neon S, the the neon SRT and the uh, and the Cobalt SS, like yeah, back in the yeah, day, that, those, those classics, those <laughs> classics. I mean, no disrespect to the SRT4. That was a pretty that was a pretty badass um, vehicle. I've also heard pretty good things about Cobalt SS. Oh, you could make them very as... quick, but the build quality was horrific. <laughs> uh, but maybe I'm mistaken. I think those were two doors instead of four doors. Is Who that, knows? I don't remember. I mean, it was oh. so long ago, and I've tried to forget the J-Body and the, the, that which spawned after the J-Body. So, um, uh, missed oppor- Speaking of missed opportunities, though, uh, the Cruise... The Cruise is a very oh, good... Yeah. This, but, but the Cruise is a very good compact sedan with no mm-hmm. performance model. And the Sonic RS, very good uh, hatchback that's not really about performance. And GM could have made two quick versions of those cars, I think, and gotten some of the GLI's pie. And what's interesting is they made a diesel version of the Cruise to get some of the Jetta's pie. And mm-hmm. for some reason, they were like, nah, it's too crazy to make a GLI competitor. Who would do that? Let's go diesel. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I agree with you. Uh, it is so interesting that we we... And it just seems like you're right, a missed opportunity on, on the part of Volkswagen, especially as they transition away from the golf being, you know, offering so many golf based vehicles in, in North America. They should have delivered on this on this GLI to make us think that the, the future is bright. And instead, we don't have that feeling. Do we? No, and it's I, I don't know what the percentage of GLI sales was. If it was, or if they think that you know we have a cusp, because you know how I was talking a few weeks ago about the Golf R and how that's kind of like a stealth luxury vehicle more than a performance car, mm-hmm. and it, maybe they wanted to do that with the GLI as well. Unfortunately, I just don't think that the the fit and finish inside the car or the overall experience reflects that. But it doesn't mean they didn't make the effort. Interesting. Um, w- one more thing I wanted to say though that is compelling about the GLI, if you're a potential GLI versus GTI fence sitter. Price-wise, it's a lot cheaper. What? Really? How much cheaper? Okay, so if you're buying the base model, the difference is not that big. And the base model is not super easy to get. The S is like the Volkswagen's advertising as late availability, whatever that means. It's $25,995, so it's $26,000. The base Golf uh, S GTI, $27,595. So already, it's $1,500 more. But... If you go up to the Autobahn trim, which is the top tier version of both cars, the GTI is thirty five nine ninety five. The GLI is twenty nine one ninety five. Holy cow! Okay, it's you're almost, telling me it's almost a seven thousand dollar difference, Sammy, for a comparably equipped car. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a that's a wide margin, really. Um, what does it feel like a like a six? Almost seven thousand dollar difference between these two cars. So I the version of the jet the the version of the Jetta I drove the um the thirty fifth anniversary model. Like I said, that's a mid tier version of the car, and that's only a th- that's a thousand dollars less. Or sorry, mm-hmm. more than that. It's it's twenty six nine ninety five. So it's it's about two grand less. Uh, but the version of the GTI I drove was the Rabbit edition, which is twenty nine thousand. 
And that comes with stuff like LED headlights and that whole rabbit package, which is like a unique right. styling thing. It doesn't have things like adaptive cruise control. It didn't have like dual dual zone climate control. It doesn't have all the stuff the Autobahn has. So I can't really say, you know, gear wise, if it feels like it's a big difference. But if you're looking at the spec sheets, I mean, the Autobahn GLI blows the GTI out of the water. And wow. if, if that's what you care about, then yeah, the GLI is kind of a screaming deal. It's a sub $30,000 car with a tunable four cylinder turbocharged engine that you can take <laughs> all of your friends around with you in, in total comfort. That. You, when you when you highlight it that way, it sounds pretty decent. Um, yeah, and then you drive it, and you're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's so weird. Like, there's so there's so few vehicles that feel that on paper seem like a great idea that don't translate onto the road. I mean, it's I think it's kind of rare. You can usually tell pretty quickly what's interesting, what isn't. Yeah, um, I, I mean, character is a big thing, and character is largely being dialed out of modern automotive platforms. We've talked about this in the past, mm-hmm. and even vehicles that share the same platform, like pretty much every Volkswagen now, there can be these big differences. So I guess kudos to Volkswagen for making the GTI interesting. <laughs> if they're in the with, wrong way, man. <laughs> well, if they're dealing no, but if they're dealing with the same, like this is the same dough, right? And the, the same dough made the Jetta and the Golf, and one's more interesting than the other then that's, to me, that's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. So um, en- en- enough about the GLI. I mean, I, I think my... Hold intro- up. I want to talk, though, a little... One one small thing I want to talk about. The Jetta, it, it should be a more important deal than they than they let on right now. It was a very important product for, North, for Volkswagen to just help... I don't want to say dominate North America, but really succeed in North America. Which and they haven't have- really done. <laughs> Since since it first showed up, I think what in 1985, like it was a pretty big success when the Jetta showed up, um, and and did and they did some really interesting things back in the day. If I remember, um, there was a VR6 version of a of yeah, a there, Jetta there at one time, or the GLX. Yeah. Well, what I mean is, Volkswagen's not really had a lot of good luck in North America for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that the GLI is going to be the, the car that pushes them over the edge. Or maybe I'm wrong, and their customer base is looking for a somewhat soft, fairly powerful car. I mean, I can be – maybe I'm not the, the GLA buyer. But I'm not a huge GTI fan anymore because, as we talked about, it's kind of been eclipsed by the competition. Right. And uh, the GLI doesn't have a lot of competition, but it, it doesn't really feel like the cream of the crop either. So you have these kind of milk toast options that used to be good – well, in the case of the GTI anyway – Mm-hmm. And it, it, it leaves me a little bit worried about the future of performance from Volkswagen. Okay, you, let's transition to the uh, into the compact car that I drove, which is a 2019 Mini Cooper S three door. Okay, um, which Mini Coopers are are an, always an interesting car to drive because I think when you look at them and when you look at the spec sheet, um, you can have one opinion on it, and then when you look at the history of recent Minis, specifically reliability and um, pricing for maintenance people also get another very dramatic response to that but then when you drive the vehicles you end up having a wholly different impression altogether so it's such a conflicting thing to talk about minis um for the first part they're not mini anymore i mean look at them they're they're quite they're quite a bit bigger than they used to be um and although people classify the mini cooper two-door as a subcompact it feels significantly larger than what a Honda Fit would would be. And it's much more expensive, I think, as well. And uh, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we talk about branding sometimes. 
the mini it used to mean the two door and the four door, right? Or or the two yeah. door and, and the and the whatever. At this point, three door, but three door. yeah, there are so many different minis now, and some of them are right. super big, like the the, the countryman, yeah, the countryman and the clubman. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to know like what that when you say mini, I don't know exactly what it means anymore. Like, does it just mean another anonymous? Uh, Anonymous is not fair. Another very similar SUV to what you could get from, say, Fiat or uh, Chrysler if you're buying like a like a cheap Renegade or something. Like they're, yeah. they're all the same kind of size, and it, it, it's yeah. it's kind of lost a bit of its uniqueness quotient. But I will admit their styling um, and, and just the way they look has still worked out in their favor. People still recognize the Mini by its design. You'll never mistake it for anything else am i wrong about that like this mini especially this two-door people see that they go that's a mini like i i think so for for the cars yes for the suvs i don't think so but definitely for the cars and uh, i already got some i mean mine was done up in this uh kind of they call it mini rate mini british racing green um which is which is kind of cool and that's the thing about minis they always have like this quirkiness to them this like uh, wink and a nod somewhere to to allude to their British um, um, history and their their former glory as either like motorsport in motorsports or in movies or in um, just plain success in in Europe. So I always love driving one of these because again, there's always a weird quirk and Easter egg, something that makes you uh, remember what Mini used to be. Um, although they're very much. Um, there's a big chasm from what they used to be to what they are now. Yeah, there's this almost no link whatsoever. Um, so Mini Cooper S, it's a it's a two door or a three door if you want to call the hatch a, a door. Uh, my model comes with a two liter four cylinder turbocharged engine. It makes um, just under 200 horsepower and uh, a little bit over 200 pound feet of torque. It's paired to a six speed automatic transmission, which um, I was always hoping that it would have. The manual because I think minis with a manual are are a blast to drive. Um, but to say that this is fun to drive is doing it a disservice. I really do enjoy driving it. Um, it feels so much more refined than other subcompact cars. If you want, again, if you want to call this car a subcompact, um, I think its pricing kind of disqualifies it in a significant way. The model I'm driving costs about thirty five thousand dollars US, which is a lot of money for a small car. But if you're going to be spending, uh, if you want the best small car, it might be the most refined, so it might be the most luxurious, it might be the most well-equipped. Say that price again. This is 35000 um Canadian. So, just so a, I would expect it to be about $30,000 um, US. So it's, it's very similar in price then to a GTI. Yeah. Um, and, it's, it's, and it's also, I want to point out, 500 pounds lighter than the yeah. uh, GLI I drove. Comes in, the automatic that you drove is, sorry, the automatic is 2,800 pounds. Yep. And the manual is 2,700 pounds. Wow, you're so, doing my research for me. I was about to hit you up well, with Well, I was numbers. curious because you were talking about, you know, you said, what, just under 200 horsepower? I guess it's 197 yeah. or something. It's like 189, I, I believe. So, yeah, 189 is correct. But, uh, and, and that's, the, the Jetta is 228. And you have a 500-pound difference and a 40-horsepower difference. It's just interesting to see these different approaches to performance. And, okay, so Mini themselves says that the car in automatic form will do 0 to to 60 in a 6.8-second sprint, which is a pretty big difference from what you quoted, which was 5-point-something. 
But the yeah. car feels so much faster than that. It feels so much more agile and responsive than 6.8, almost 7 seconds. I, I, I don't know what it is. There's something to be enjoyed when it comes to driving these cars, whether it's the, the, the steering is nice and heavy so that every action you take, is it has a, a really impressive response. That turbo, um, it gives you 207 pound-feet of torque at 1,300 RPM. That's insane for a car that's this small. Um, and, and even being in it, you get a pretty nice, it's a pared down experience without feeling cheap and like, like flimsy. Um, so you know how I was saying, you know, you're in a, G, uh, in a, in a Jetta or a GLI and there's hard materials everywhere. And like the knobs and the buttons don't feel like, like anything special. While a mini has so many quirky, quirky elements to their controls. They have toggle switches. They have light up um, elements everywhere. The, like the, the start button, for example, is a toggle switch which lights up this bright red light. Um, and then around the infotainment display is a ginormous ring that changes color when you adjust the HVAC settings or it can match your tachometer. So it glows more orange as you get further up the tack. There's like these really cute things that are enjoyable about the car. It has personality. And although we're not comparing the two cars, I might as well say that that GLI lacks personality while a Mini is is just loaded with it. And I think that's pretty impressive. That's something that you wouldn't have expected in a car these days, which seem to be the more personality you put in a car, the worse it can be, the more alienate, the more you can alienate your potential customers. Well, right? the thing is too, Mini is doesn't have as many models as Volkswagen. They don't have to do as much platform sharing. So they're able to, I think, to focus more on what they think their brand is about. I don't right. know if Volkswagen entirely knows what its brand is about in North America anymore. <laughs> no, I'm not even being facetious about that. It just doesn't – I mean, I don't – when I think Volkswagen, you used to think diesel, and that's not the case anymore. So what is it now? I don't know. But yeah, we can talk about that brand, brand identity with Mini. I mean, back in the day when you first thought of a Mini, it was a small car, a very small car. And that can mean it was cheap, it was good on gas, and um, – you would have certain compromises in terms of either build quality or or materials. Nowadays, the Mini you get is is a bit bigger, much more spacious. It's kind of expensive and very well equipped and very well um, finished. Uh, the fit and finish is very nice in, in these vehicles. So it's a very big contrast from what it used to be. Um, however, you and I have talked about this in the past. The What we know as Mini changes every generation – the old minis used to have, again, these little quirks. So like when you would put the car into sport mode by using a little ring, basically the, the ring where the shifter is. So you would imagine the, where the shift lever is, there's a big ring around that shift lever, uh, and you would, you would nudge it left or right, and you would, you would select um, sport mode or green mode. And every time you would do that, it would say, um, it would leave a message on the, on the screen. Now, you know this, every car says, you've engaged sport mode or you're in eco mode. Yes. Back, back in the day, they used to say, let's motor hard uh, with an exclamation <laughs> mark. Yeah. And they'd show a little car, you know, like kind of zooming in on a racetrack. Or if you put it into the, the green mode, it would say, uh, let's minimalize like that. And I would love, and they would capitalize mini and minimalize. And I would love this kind of like attention to detail. I thought that was very important because um, small cars don't get this kind of attention. They don't get all of the love that bigger cars and more powerful cars and more expensive cars get. And to have that kind of attention to detail in a small car, it means a lot to the buyer who can either only afford this or can only 
this kind this size car will, is what fits in their in their life stock. Well, they also have to kind of justify the the huge price difference. <laughs> however, like now you, it you doesn't. Mentioned. The, however, now it's uh, it's a single toggle that you just go sport or sport normal or or green, and it doesn't say that stuff. It just said sport mode, uh, normal mode, and and green mode. Which so I'm a little bummed out that they've lost that in the recent generations. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why they would lose the. It, it seems like something that was so easy to just. It's just. It's got to be just a text field somewhere, right? Like, why would they have lost this? Do you think Mini is trying to grow up from beyond that? I think Mini's trying to grow up in the SUV and wagon segment. I, in the cars, though, it's kind of puzzling to me. Like, you figure this is where whimsy needs to blossom. Yeah, for sure. Especially as less people are buying um, cars like this. Um, and then, of course, there's. There are a couple of headaches that come with a car. Mini is uh, owned or, or is a BMW brand. Um, we've mentioned this in the past when talking about the X1 and X2. The platform is shared with, with a Mini product. Um, and so that means that the motors and the transmission and the electronics are all have like their BMW um, shared You say this was such a downer, like BMW. And, like you've said it twice no. now. Tell us how you really feel, Sammy. I'm really sad to say, but um, I had some issues with the infotainment system, which is something I've never had with other BMWs. But I imagine, you know, people are always saying you know, electronics and some German cars can be a bit of a headache and other reliability concerns that um, that pop up. For whatever reason, I could never pair my phone to the to the mini infotainment system and that's working in spite of it you know pairing to my own cars or other vehicles um last week i paired to a car very easily or to a couple of cars actually very easily and clearing out all of the the products that are all the cars that are paired to my phone listen to this uh, humble brag all the cars that are pa- paired to my well phone. i mean you you test drive a car every week you put that you know that car in your phone and then uh, you know if you don't remove it some it, it's there forever and sometimes your phone gets like confused as to what it's trying to pair to this week i like your explanations so, of technology um, next week so, on unnamed automotive podcast phone confusion <laughs> so i was a little bummed out that that worked out but you know it reminds me that people are concerned about the the reliability of these products and the maintenance costs associated with it which could really impact your ownership experience um when it comes to to buying a car like that is small and somewhat affordable. I mean, the starting price for a Mini is is uh, a little over twenty thousand dollars. But for the S, it starts at twenty eight and tops yeah. that around thirty four five. So that that's that's a lot of money. It's not a ton of money. I mean, we're not talking like luxury car money. I think but... you are though, because if you if you're looking at this car as <laughs> in its size and what it can do for you and its practicality, and then you realize that you could buy like a Jetta. Or you can buy a BR, no, a GLI or a BRZ or even a GTI for the same money. A GTI is is similar in theory to what the the Mini Cooper S is trying to accomplish, but in practice, it's way more practical. Um, you get a right. four door, you get a lot more cargo room, uh, and you get performance that's a full second faster. Right. So it, 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 I think that to buy this car, they really have to play up the premium thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I really do think they've achieved it. I also have to admit, our mo- my model that I'm testing had none of the safety like um, features. It didn't have adaptive cruise control. I don't think it had forward collision warning. Um, didn't have lane keeping assist. 
And can I admit, it's really refreshing to drive a car, a new car, that is not nagging you to drive better, even though you're completely safe on the oh, road? For, for sure. You know, it's, <laughs> this, this is kind of a tangent, but uh, I was in one of my Jeep discussion groups earlier today, and there was a gentleman who was talking about how he wanted to not only put a, a more modern engine in his Jeep, but he also wanted to install uh, blind spot monitoring and adaptive cruise control because he yeah. wanted to have the most modern car he could in an old package. And it's, to a me, gr- like, it's a neat idea. I mean, re- that's called resto modding, I guess, right? Yeah, but it, there's just there was, I think, between resto modding and like it, it, to add these annoyances to a car that doesn't have them. First of all, it seems like a huge expense. But when you could just easily go buy a car that has these features, if that's what you, if you want just the look of a Grand Wagoneer or a Jeep or whatever, just drop the body on a new um, <laughs> pickup truck platform and be done with it. But uh, it just seemed like uh, the, the, the older vehicles are your sanctuary from this constant interruption of electronics, especially safety features. So I, I right. don't know, it just didn't appeal to me. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to say that there's no value in safety gears for some. I well, mean, no, I'm not saying that is, either. <laughs> safety is always what we want when we need it. Like not when it's you know you you hate all of these safety features until you need them. You know what I mean? Um, but it was just really refreshing to drive a car that was not nagging you about um, that lane change that you know there's someone in your blind spot. Sure. Um, because there always we'll, is, because you're driving in the shoulder. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I had somewhere to go. Um, so, I, I mean, it's a very conflicting car to talk about. Would I recommend a Mini Cooper? I would, I would recommend somebody drive it and sit in it and be in it and realize this is the size of vehicle that you are going to be living with. And that's the price point that you're going to be spending on it. I, I could recommend it. I could really enjoy driving one of these things. They're so much fun to drive. And they've got all of that quirky personality that you'd like in a car. But it might not be for you. Do you know what I mean? No, I do understand. It's, it's something that you definitely do need to sample. And I just want to put this out there. Um, for anyone who's looking to buy a new car or a used car, drive as many different ones as you can. Don't just assume you're going to like the car that you, you you like on paper, as Sammy says. But also, you might discover that competitors you hadn't maybe considered are doing the better job than are, – are, are better at what you need them to be than the car you had your heart set on. And I think a lot of people end up buying the first or second car they drive. And I actually had this happen recently to a friend of mine who had all these options – for a small car that she was looking for. And she ended up buying a car that I don't think is well suited for anyone to own. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to come out and say it's a smart 4.2 electric. Okay. And, yeah. And, and I don't think it's really well suited. I mean, definitely the best smart 4.2 product. <laughs> but uh, it was just strange because you know, she was looking at things like the Yaris and the Prius C and in less mm. expensive, more capable cars, but ultimately you get fixated on a car and you end up buying just that car because it's the only car you drove. So drive everything. And like, you know, as Sammy's saying, maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised by something that, that comes out as being more interesting than the specs make it out to be. And, and you know what? It, it's so interesting to look at the price point of this. Like I said, $35,000 $35, is a very tough segment to or, or price point to deal with because you could be looking at high-end uh, compact cars. You could be looking at mid-sized cars. You can look at some crossovers or fully loaded subcompact crossovers. There's Everything is available in that like in yeah. that little chunk of, of cash. Yeah. So, I like, mean... I can think of 
you can compare this to the new Mercedes A-Class in many ways, and I wonder how people would um, compare the two products. The, the Mini definitely has some like charm to it. As you said, if you want more performance, there's a GTI out there. There's, there's some interesting options for you, and I do think if you're all about that personality and that charm, instead of all of the performance, although the car is really responsive, the Mini could do you could could fit in, but in other ways, I mean, if you are a hardcore performance person, or if you're all about the luxury and the premium allure of a vehicle, maybe a Mercedes would be up your alley. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, drive as much as you can, and uh, don't 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 be lazy. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> it's saying so it's easy to be lazy, though. I know. I know because it's because so many cars are good, you know, like you get in a car and it's hard to find a bad car these days and you get in and it does everything you need it to and it's cool and you're like, okay, I'll buy this. And then like two weeks later, your neighbor buys a new car and you're like, oh, can I try it out? And he's like, yeah, and he drives you around or she drives you around the block and you realize, man, this thing's, I just like this so much more than my car, which is still fine. But then you're living in a world of what might have been. <laughs> you, you talk about that as if it's experience. Has this happened to you? Sammy, I don't want to talk about the world of what might have been because. <laughs> I don't want to start. I told myself I wouldn't cry three times today, and right. I'm almost gonna keep that promise to myself. And it would be the first promise I've kept to myself in months. Well, there's um, plenty of time left in the day. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, to plenty of your... time for crying. Thank <laughs> exactly. you for reminding me. That was very cool of you. Uh, just before we wrap things up, uh, Sammy, what are you gonna be driving next week? Um, I'm going to be driving a diesel-powered Ford F-150, uh, which I'm very excited to to talk about because um, I don't think I've driven the diesel F-150s yet, and I'm helping uh, some family members move around, so it's going to get a thorough workout. And I'm going to be driving the uh, Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio, which is the... <laughs> And there's a lot of O's in there. Instead of, uh-huh. we're, we're trading acronyms for O's. But uh, it's it's the 500-something horsepower, carbon fiber-imbued um, SUV that everyone needs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to hear that, man. I'm going to be taking it on a bit of a weekend road trip. So I'll, I'll have plenty of time behind the wheel. And uh, we'll just... We'll see what that experience is like. And one more thing I wanted to talk about before we sign off this week. Uh, We got a a message a few weeks ago from one of our listeners, Edward. And remember, uh, Sammy, when we were talking about the microwave clock that Toyota used in the Corolla for years and years and years and years and years? Yes. And they finally got rid of it. And they got rid of it, yes. Okay, but they haven't gotten rid of it everywhere. Because Edward is in Australia, and he drives a brand new 2019 Land Cruiser 79. And he has this clock... On his dashboard, and he sent us a photo of it, and it has a lap timer. I think it's it says it's hour reset minute yeah. lap set start stop AM stop that be outside. So I assume outside is for temperature and stuff. But there's a lap timer. It's a Land Cruiser. Did I mention it's a Land Cruiser? Yeah. Which typically does not do laps. So I just think it's fascinating that not only not only is Toyota still selling this clock in their high-end or at least um, flagship SUV, but they're adding features to it to justify its existence (laughs) that no one will ever use. If anyone out there has ever lapped a racetrack in their Land Cruiser, maybe maybe Edward has, I'm not sure, I don't think so, it's his work vehicle, but if you have, I would love to hear from you because yes, that is please. that is a story that needs to be told. That sounds like a good idea. I want to hear that. And how would they, if someone wanted to get in touch with us, uh, how would they do that, Sammy? Well, I recommend they go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when they're there, they can just click on the contact button up at the top and uh, fill out the form. Send your message right our way. 
Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. But if you want to go through social media, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, and Ben, you're, you're found on Instagram, so you can find him at Hunting Benjamin. Additionally, if you don't want to go through any of that stuff, you just want to fire off an email, um, you can send it to me or Ben. Ben usually gets all the, all the mail. That's, he's Benjamin don't, at BenjaminHunting.com. Don't pull the curtain back. <laughs> Ben, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Um, that's if, the best way to get in touch with us. And if you want to listen to past episodes and uh, find out why we talked about the Toyota Corolla clock, I mean, because it, it's definitely a topic for the ages, uh, you can get in touch. You can, sorry, listen to past episodes by going to UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com. Everything is there. You can subscribe to us there. And you can honestly subscribe to us anywhere you catch pods. I mean, like Apple, iTunes, uh, Google Play Music, Spotify. We are everywhere. We are worldwide. And we are happy that you chose to spend the last hour or so with us. So until next week, thank you for listening. Take care and bye.